0: Let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious uh, heavenly father, as we come uh, to be taught about the word of our Lord Jesus from his word, uh, we pray that you would give us understanding, uh, the understanding that believes and puts into practice what you teach us. We pray that we would hear this word for good that it would stir us up in our following of Jesus. And, Father, we pray in your mercy uh, that it would strengthen our trust in him and move us to live fruitful lives. Help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. I would very much have liked to be sharing this talk with you in person for this story of the sower and the soils which Jesus told is about us about how we are hearing the gospel of Jesus and about what we can expect as we share the gospel of Jesus and I was particularly keen to share its teaching with you for the key element in distinguishing the different soils you've heard of, the different responses to Jesus' teaching is time, time to see what happens to the seed. And most of us have had enough time together in this church for these different responses to become clearer amongst us, to become clearer and needing to be addressed. For this is not just descriptive, a story spoken about us, describing our lived experience. It does that. But this story is also spoken to us spoken to us to give us the opportunity to reflect whether we are new or long-standing believers, to reflect on how we are still hearing the gospel word, on the response we are continuing to make to the word of Jesus as our life circumstances have changed over time. And there's been a lot of that change over time amongst us, hasn't there? People getting married, having children people seeing children grow and leave, graduating, changing jobs, moving house, buying homes. We've experienced a lot of change together. And this parable is spoken to us to give us opportunity to reflect and correct if needed, to correct while there's still time so we are the good soil that receives Jesus' word and keeps bearing the fruit that matters for eternity. Now, if the story of the sower is familiar to many of us, the scene described by Jesus was very familiar to his first hearers. You see, Galilee was an agricultural society and most of the population lived in small rural villages and so they'd all witnessed sowing in autumn to early winter, the sower walking over the ploughed field with his bag of seed over his shoulder and just throwing it out onto the soil, broadcasting it before ploughing it in. And they'd witnessed time and again how that seed fared. They knew that on the border of those fields there would be paths where the ground would have been made firm and hard by the passage of many feet and that the seed would lie there to be consumed by birds. Oh, and experience had taught them that in areas of these fields there would be rock shelves just under the surface and there the ground would warm up more quickly than elsewhere because it was shallow and so the seed there would germinate earlier and send up shoots earlier for those shoots only to wither. As spring became summer and the heat increased because the roots couldn't tap into the deeper soil moisture. On not having herbicides, they knew there'd also be parts of the field where the farmer had only slashed the weeds, not pulled them out, and ploughing hadn't got rid of those weed seeds and those seeds germinated with the wheat, grew up alongside it, competing for sun and nutrition and choked it, making it unfruitful. But they also knew that the sower sowed to get a harvest. That was the whole point. And that they would have recognised that the good soil, the good ground, really was good. A hundred, sixty, thirty fold outcomes that varied from very good to fair. They knew all this, and there they were, gathered in such numbers that Jesus had to put out in a boat. Attracted by his healings and his preaching, perhaps even by the controversy with the Pharisees. Jesus had them, as it were, in the palm of his hand. And what does he do? He describes for them what they already know. He tells them a story that didn't seem to have an obvious point, even though he challenges them to understand it. Let him who has ears hear. He challenges, but it's meaning if it had one, was not on the surface. Why? Now, if that was not troubling the crowd, that question was certainly troubling the disciples. Those who'd already responded to Jesus' preaching of the kingdom, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near, responded by following him to be taught by him. Those he just called his family for doing the will of the father by following him. Now, perhaps the disciples were looking for Jesus to build some kind of popular movement, to enlarge his following. Perhaps they themselves were just puzzled by this parable. But they ask, why are you speaking to them in parables? Why leave the crowd hanging with a puzzling story, one they have to work so hard to understand? Why parables? You see, they recognise the story as a parable. Parables were used by prophets and wisdom teachers. A a parable was a way of teaching based on a comparison. And it could be a saying or a phrase or, as here, a story. It was a way of teaching that asked you to think about what you were hearing, to go beyond the surface of the words to get the point. A parable was an invitation to put in effort to make a discovery of truth by putting one thing next to another. For example, the kingdom of heaven next to a mustard seed or Jesus' ministry next to the story of a vineyard owner or a sower. Sometimes the comparison's explicit, such as the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed or leaven or treasure. That's the way the other parables in chapter 13 start. You still had to think, but you knew where to start but sometimes the comparison was left unstated as as here then the story from everyday life became a bit more like a riddle and you had to use features of the context to puzzle it through unless of course you could ask the teacher the teller of the parable to explain it to you Now, Jesus used parables, especially stories from everyday life, a lot. Uh, In fact, later in the chapter it says, Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables and he did not tell them anything without a parable. But parables were not straightforward and transparent. Not everyone got them. So this question why parables is important, as is this first parable. The question and Jesus' answer actually helps us understand why Jesus teaches as he does, how using parables fits into his wider mission, how it makes understanding dependent on him, believing in him, coming to him. Just as this first parable itself will help us understand how Jesus sees people responding to his mission, to the preaching of the gospel. Why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you for you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Secrets is a good translation of the Greek word mysteries, which is what's used here. In English, a mystery is something that stays obscure, confusing, mysterious. But in Greek, a mystery is something previously hidden but now made known, what was secret now revealed. And Jesus says there will be a difference in understanding between his disciples and others. Those who respond to his gospel that the kingdom of heaven is near with repentance and faith who believe and follow Jesus as the one who brings the kingdom, the reign of God, well, those who turn to him for understanding, they are the ones to whom the previously hidden truths of God's reign, God's kingdom will be made known. But they're not made known to those who don't follow Jesus. And this is part of a basic principle. Those who have, who have enough faith to turn to Jesus, get more. But those who don't turn to Jesus, well, for them, things just become more and more obscure. They lose their connection with the fulfilment of the promises to Israel. And that's what you see happening here. The disciples, who also didn't understand the parable, know enough to come to Jesus and ask to listen to him. And so their understanding of the kingdom and Jesus' ministry grows. But those who think Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about or who don't have the interest to ask because they don't think Jesus is important, it just all becomes more of a puzzle and that's still a principle for us, isn't it? The starting point for understanding what Jesus is teaching is teaching, and uh, grow and for growing in understanding is believing in Jesus, believing the gospel that He is the living King, the Lord to whom you can turn for help, who gives understanding. When we do that, God's gospel makes increasing sense. But without that. Initial understanding becomes disinterest and disinterest soon becomes dismissal. Parables are a way of believers growing in understanding of the kingdom, the reign Jesus brings and what kind of king he is. And at the same time, they're a way of veiling the truth, keeping out those who don't believe. Parables magnify the difference between those who have faith and those who have no faith. That is why I speak to them in parables, says Jesus, because looking they do not see and hearing they do not understand, listen or understand. Jesus uses the words of the Isaiah passage he's about to quote to describe the reaction of so many witnesses to his ministry reactions that we have just seen in chapters 11 and 12. The crowd saw the wonders Jesus had performed and described to John, the blind receiving the sight, the lame walking, the lepers healed. They saw, but they did not see Jesus as the one who was to come. Oh, they saw him cast out demons, but they did not see the one stronger than the evil one. They heard him teaching But they did not hear one who was greater than Jonah, one greater than Solomon. They looked, but did not see, heard, but did not listen or understand. And at this stage of his ministry, you might think that that would discourage Jesus, but it didn't. He saw it as the fulfilment of Isaiah 6 a passage Jesus quotes in full, verses 9 and 10, a passage that speaks of God's judgment exercised through the preaching of the prophetic word on a sinful and unbelieving people, a people who shut their eyes to God's action, hardened their hearts to God's truth. You see, Jesus' ministry, including his teaching ministry, was discriminating. As John the Baptist had prophesied, his winnowing fork verse twelve his winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with the fire that never goes out. See Jesus' ministry will separate the wheat from the chaff, and that is part of the purpose of teaching in parables. To those who have, well, there are a means to grow in their understanding, to grow in life. But to those who don't have, there are means of judgment. You see, the gospel word divides. It brings life and it brings judgment. And that tells you that listening to Jesus is serious. And it's troubling to think, isn't it, that the word that brings life, Our unbelief can turn into a word that brings judgment by hardening our indifference to Jesus. But that judgment is not yet final for the crowd listening to Jesus. They could still change. The parables could still become a revelation of the kingdom if they came to Jesus, saw from him the significance of what he's saying. And that judgment need not be final for us. If we can give up our indifference and be bothered to learn more, to come to Jesus in the gospel for understanding, to ask the living Jesus to open our eyes, to give us hearing ears, it can be for us a word that brings life. So if you're puzzled by what you hear, ask Jesus for understanding. But already Jesus is saying, that to understand, to get benefit, you need to listen with faith in him. And that's, of course, the point the parable of the sower itself makes. But before he explains the parable, Jesus reassures his disciples of the greatness of the privilege they have in learning from him the secrets of the kingdom. Blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see but didn't see them, to hear the things you didn't hear but didn't hear them. When everyone else is just dismissing Jesus' teaching, saying that it doesn't make sense when they're not listening, it becomes easy then and now to wonder whether it was really that important. So Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, they are blessed to have eyes that do see, ears that do hear. Blessed to see the work of God's King in what Jesus does, to hear the words of God in what Jesus teaches. And they are not alone in that. While others may not understand, this is what God's people over the centuries have longed for. The prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, David, David, And those who received their word as God's word longed for the fulfilment of the word God had spoken through them, for the fulfilment of the promises to Israel of the reign of God, the time when God would act to save his people through his chosen king and servant. They longed but never saw it. But that's what the disciples are seeing. They're seeing God establishing his saving reign amongst his people through his son Jesus. And for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear, this was a reign that will be better, more glorious, more extensive than the disciples could then imagine, but would learn about as they kept listening to Jesus. They're blessed. Jesus reassures them. But knowing that his disciples were also having trouble grasping the point of the parable of the sower, Jesus explains it to them and to us who come to the story through the gospel of Jesus. So listen to the parable of the soul. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. It's all about, verse 19, how people hear and respond to the word of the kingdom, the gospel Jesus preaches, that the kingdom of heaven has come near in him. So this parable is about how the people of Jesus' generation are responding to him. But the gospel the apostles preach is the same gospel. See, when the apostles proclaim that Christ has died for our sins, been buried and been raised by God on the third day, they are proclaiming Jesus is God's king, the one who rules forever on David's throne. And they're saying that we have to get ready for the revealing of his reign of peace and justice, which is certain. Get ready for the day on which you'll come and judge the living and the dead. Get ready by doing what Jesus calls for, repenting and believing the gospel. The apostolic gospel is the same word of the kingdom, made even clearer and more certain by the revealing of Jesus as king in his death and rising. And that means this parable is also about how people respond to the gospels the apostles preached, the gospel preached to us. So this is a living story describing what happens now amongst us as we see day by day the gospel seed being sown and as we and others respond day by day to that gospel. And the story outlines, as you've heard, four different responses. And what time has taught me is that all these responses are present amongst us, present now, present always. So there's the seed sown on the path. they are those who are disengaged. And this can describe your work colleague or relative with whom you've shared the gospel and it goes nowhere, but it can also describe Someone who can sit for months, even years, amongst us. They hear, but all the time they're thinking the message is for someone else, not them, it gets no traction. Maybe they're in church for friendship or their partner or a childhood habit, but the words just wash over them. They don't realise that there's actually a bigger agenda beyond their disinterest. The devil, that ancient enemy, plucks the gospel word away, blinds their eyes to Christ's significance and that's tragic, isn't it? Tragic to think that they could sit and hear but never engaged. And so if you are listening today and never really engaged with the gospel that speaks of your sin and the reality of judgment and life offered to you in Jesus, if those words have been so, so much blood, Don't think it's your intellectual superiority or your feeling no need in your happy life that means you don't bother. You're being robbed of eternal life by one who only desires your destruction. You need to engage. Oh, then there are those on the rocky soil. They like what they hear, and there is a lot of good involved in the Christian life, isn't there? in the gospel, a sense of purpose, the idea that your life matters, that there's a God who cares for you, and Jesus is so good. And so the word finds a place. They're glad. But when distress or suffering and or persecution because of the word comes, and the suffering spoken of can be quite general, hard times, not just opposition to their faith, what Luke calls times of trial or times of testing, well, they give up because they have no root in themselves. And sadly, we've seen that too, don't we? People have been enthusiastic but then just drop off when they realise the cost, you know, say that they'll lose friends or they get tired of being mocked at work. And yes, we also see people who are tested by sickness or trouble with their children and also just stop. Stop meeting with the Lord's people. Let their confession of Christ just fade away into the background. In times of testing, they have no root in themselves. No depth of faith on which they can draw. No deep conviction of gospel truth. No tested personal dependence on the truth of Jesus' promises. No habit of drawing near to God. It's sad. And when I've spoken with them, I've often found that they're actually not convinced of the seriousness of sin and they deserve judgment. They tend to believe they're not such bad people. Oh, and they're not really convinced that being saved from eternal death is as important as being happy now. And they're not convinced really that Jesus in his death is the only way that it'll somehow work out some other way. And they're not convinced because they're not convinced of sin and judgment of Jesus' love, of God's love. In fact, sometimes they tell me that being healed now Only to die again would convince them that they're loved. And they're not convinced by God giving his son for them. While they're his deserved enemies to give them eternal life. That hasn't convinced them of God's love. Do you know we're seeing people wilting in their faith even now as they're tested by the circumstances of the pandemic? You know what it's like. It just seems so hard, so hard to be thankful, so hard to trust that the Lord's in control in an anxious time, so hard to believe that we are loved even as we find life a trial, so easy in weariness to give up, listening to the word, withdrawing from contact with other believers, easy to say stop praying because we feel dry to sometimes start grumbling and complaining. This is a time of testing. So what have you found in yourself through this time? Do you have root in yourself? Have you found yourself perhaps surprisingly sustained by Jesus' presence and promises? Or have you been shocked at how easily your confidence and hope has been shaken, how hard you have found it to be thankful, to be thankful you have a saviour and a hope? So easy to lose sight of a consciousness of his sovereign love for you. The pandemic's a reminder, isn't it, that we need to cultivate a depth of relationship to our Lord Jesus by keeping on listening to his word, keeping on hearing the gospel so that we keep the gospel reality before us, the reality of our sin and deserved judgment, the reality of forgiveness through faith in Jesus. And the hope, the sure hope of eternal life. Oh, the assurance of God's love for us, given by his spirit in the conviction of the truth of the gospel that Christ has died for us while we are still sinners. Oh, and the need to cultivate our relationship with our Lord by practising it in prayer and thankfulness and service. Remember, one of the purposes of God in the lives of his people in trial is to cultivate that depth of relationship, to work in us endurance and character and a hope and a hope that's sustained confidently by knowledge of God's love. And we need that work because we need that depth for there will be other trials. So, if you find yourself wilting, call out to the living Lord Jesus. You can't renew yourself on your own. You need the one who said we can always draw near for mercy and grace to help us in our need, the one who can sustain his life in you. Well, then there's the third soil. Ah, here there's growth but without fruit, the cares of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the world. The word in Mark, it adds the desire for other things. In Luke, it says the cares, the riches, the pleasures of life crowd in and choke the word. It gets no nutrition, no light of the sun. And again, it takes time for this to become apparent. It's something that happens over the lifetime of the plant, over years, a kind of slow death of zeal. And until COVID came along, I have thought for many years that this is the biggest danger facing you and I because life can be so rich for many of us. We become like the rich young ruler, so attached to what we have, our career satisfaction, our housing plans and hopes, Oh, our plans for retirement, what money can buy? Life can be so rich for so many. Oh, yes, and life, as we've seen over these years, can become so hard for so many. Coping with sick family, balancing tight budgets, riches and cares accumulate, and we can stop listening to the word. You know, find ourselves no longer able to focus or concentrate on it or wanting not to give time to it because it challenges our preoccupations or ambitions or challenges our little faith. He knows that the cares, riches and pleasures of this world are very close to us. So how are you going? How are you going listening to Jesus? Are you still letting his word dictate your plans? When you make a decision about a job or a home or about involvement in a growth group or a ministry, do you do what you are convinced is pleasing to Jesus and do it for that reason? Do you allow yourself to put aside your own hopes to long for the fulfilment of what he promises? Are you trusting him for your grief or pain? for your income or work? And are you loving him more than your wealth or the fulfilment of your plans, more even than your anxieties, because you know he is the one the gospel says has first loved you? Then there is the good soil. Those who hear and understand, and that understanding is not merely intellectual You see, true understanding involves commitment to the response the gospel understood calls for. So the good soil are those who understand that Jesus has come to save sinners because our sin, our rebellion against God, our creator, is so serious, so deadly. They hear and understand the seriousness then and the urgency of Jesus' call to repentance and they show that by repenting, saying no to self and yes to Jesus, not just once but every day. And they understand whom the gospel proclaims Jesus to be, the Lord with all authority, the one who loves them and gave himself for them. And they believe and follow. And keep on following. And it's these believers that bear fruit. And fruit in Matthew's gospel is the practical outworking of commitment to Christ in what we think, do, and speak. So, fruit is a commitment to do all that Jesus has taught. It's a changed character that shows poverty of spirit, meekness, mourning for sin, a hungering for righteousness, a purity of heart, mercy, and more. And it's good works that bring glory to the Father, faithfulness in marriage, trustworthiness in our word, love even of our enemies and more. And yes, it will also involve a commitment to make disciples. And it's not as if these believers don't know the heat of the sun, times of trial, but they endure. And they know the allure of the riches and pleasures of this life but they say no to them, to keep saying yes to Jesus. Oh, yes, their fruitfulness will vary depending on our circumstances and gifts. It's 30, 60, 100-fold. There isn't one set uniform expression of hearing and understanding the word, but there will be fruit. And, yes, again, it takes time. But praise God, just as I've seen Soil of seed on rocky ground and seed among the weeds. I've also seen good soil here. That fruitfulness amongst us over time, as I'm sure you certainly have. You know, the fruit of faithfulness in trial, in sickness, or a hard marriage, or uncertain work, as people have kept on loving Jesus and trusting his promises. Oh, those who've persevered with thankfulness in loneliness and the disappointment of earthly hopes, those who persevered in hope as bodies have become frail, the fruit of faithfulness and the fruit of service to others in ministry to mums and children and youth, in faithfully leading and attending growth groups over years. Oh, the fruit of generosity of support of gospel ministry here and in AFES or our brothers and sisters who serve overseas. The fruit of persevering prayer for others to be saved or bold conversations about the Lord Jesus. The fruit of a life ordered to tell others about the Lord Jesus, to give them an opportunity to, of life, of a life ordered to serve his people in love. There has been fruit here by God's grace. We see all four responses amongst us, don't we? But there is only one to be. Only one bears fruit in eternity. Only one will share in the heavenly kingdom. And so, brothers and sisters, what matters is keeping on listening to and understanding the word of Jesus. Yourself.
1: In your own
0: heart, always hearing it and trusting the one who speaks it. Now, I guess that's the challenge for you this morning, isn't it? How are you hearing? You know, there you are, sitting alone, not buoyed up by the company of others, but actually, it is a word to you. Are you still hearing the gospel teaching of Jesus? and receiving it with a glad and understanding heart. That's the question for you every day, whether you've been a Christian one month, one year, 50 or 60. Are you being good soil? Hearing, understanding, believing, putting into practice. This parable speaks directly to us as here is the word But it also speaks to us as speakers of the word as sowers in our own turn as we share the gospel of Jesus. You know, I just want to speak briefly about that. But sowing in the parable can seem so random, can't it? Because the kind of soil is unknown until the seed lands. But that apparent randomness is an encouragement to take every opportunity. You can't judge the soil, the reception, the seed. We'll find that out. And as you share the word, well, what you see in the parable is the kind of response you will see. So hear the parable and don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged by the things that frustrate you. When, for example, you speak clearly, sincerely, and it has no impact. That's a reason to pray, isn't it? Remembering that we're engaged in a spiritual struggle. And for your encouragement, recognise us. The first hearers would that the path on the border of the field might one day be turned over as the boundaries changed. Keep sowing. And don't be discouraged by what grieves you, the person who seems so enthusiastic, but then they start making excuses for not meeting with you. Don't be discouraged by those who disappoint you, the person who may have started with you in the Christian life but has stopped bearing fruit. Don't be discouraged because... The word will bear fruit. Find good soil, that's the whole point of sowing. Our Lord sowed the seed to have a harvest and it will. It's a powerful word. And the more you sow, the bigger the harvest. Sometimes you may have even moved on before you see the seed you have sown bear fruit. It takes time. But keep sowing. Well, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus has made known to us in his gospel the secrets of his kingdom. He's made them known in the parable of the sower to encourage you in your sowing so that you'll persevere hopefully and expectantly. The gospel seed will find good soil, but more. In his mercy before the final day, he has brought you to hear this familiar story again at this time in your life to challenge you in your hearing. So do a check. Which soil are you proving to be? What is happening now to your hearing the word? Develop deep, tested convictions about the truth of the gospel. Weed out of your heart those things that stop you loving, trusting and obeying the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly. Be good soil, bear the fruit of those who hear, understand and put into practice all that Jesus teaches because harvest time will come and it will be apparent to all then how you have listened. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, uh, we just pray in your mercy that we will be those who hear and do, that we will be those who receive the gospel word of Jesus with faith and understanding and so come to trust him, to trust him for forgiveness, to trust him for acceptance into your eternal kingdom, to trust him to sustain us and be with us and to love us always.